Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be with you as we begin a brand new series on follow. We follow a lot of things in life. We follow people, we follow organizations, we follow ideas. But are we following the right things? Are we feeling purposeful like the people we saw in the video, but then finding out that we're actually following something that deserves a sad trombone? Too often we are, and and we fall into it again and again. And that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. How do we become a healthy follower of God rather than an unhealthy follower of other things? Now, most of us don't think, well, I want to be an unhealthy follower. I want to follow all kinds of crazy ideas. We, we think we want to follow the Lord, and, and we should. But are we actually? And where are we finding ourselves getting trapped in other ideas? Let's go ahead and dig into God's word over these next weeks, thinking about that. And let's start by coming before our God and ask that he would guide us, that we would see the places where we are being unhealthy followers. Let's pray. Father, too often we follow the wrong things. We, we follow all kinds of, of ideas and people we find in our culture. We, we follow even people that are close to us that are going in unhealthy directions. We do these things because we think somehow they're going to give us purpose or make us happy or successful. And yet we know that as much as they lead us away from you, that they, they will do none of those things ultimately. Lord, would you help us to follow what is right and what is true? Would you help us to follow you and to trust in you in everything we do? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of interesting thinking about how people fall into following really bad ideas, isn't it? It's become really popular in our culture if we want to accuse someone of having bad ideas to call them a Nazi. But let's actually think about the real Nazis for a moment. If you rewind in history and you go back to the middle 1930s, something possessed the German people that they heard these ideas and they actually elected Nazi party members into their government. They elected Adolf Hitler. And and it's fascinating if you you watch the progression that here are people that are wanting to claw their way out of of terrible misery and corruption and suffering and they elect the absolute worst possible sorts of people to do it. But in the moment, it felt like they were following something purposeful, that they they were marching towards some kind of progress. And so it was that there was the Reichstag fire in March 1933 when the the parliament building caught on on fire, and that became a means to shut down any kind of political dissent. And, And a people who willfully elected these leaders watched as those leaders took away their freedoms, took away the democracy that they were a part of, the very democracy that had elected them. We think, well, how did that happen? How did these people become such unhealthy followers that that they were following this horrible, horrible leader and actually enabling him to get to the place where he could become a dictator? Now, it's really easy looking back in history and saying, what were they thinking? How could they do this? And yet do I ask those same questions about the things that I follow? Do I ask, how can I be feeding these things that are going to be destructive to me and to others, much like feeding the Nazi party with election victories was doing that in the 1930s. Do I, I sometimes can see it better in other people than myself, but, but all of us need to ask the question, what sorts of things am I following and in what areas are those things not pleasing to God? And, and just as 
electing those horrible officials was degrading to democracy and then freedom and ultimately peace around the world and caused so much human suffering. The things that I'm following can do the same in a small scale to myself and to the people around me. And we fall into that time and again, and scripture warns us that we're going to do this, that this is going to happen, that there are going to be those who try to draw us away from what is good and what is true. We see, for example, in, in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He's describing a time in which we find ourselves a time in which the devil and all of his forces want to, to draw people away from the truth, whether they're believers and make them ineffective, whether they're unbelieving folks who are maybe curious about the gospel and they get drawn into something else. Whatever the case may be, there are people who are feeding what our ears want to hear. As, as Paul says, those who have itching ears, well, guess what? We often have itching ears. We want to hear things that sound pleasing to our ears, that, that, that sound like they will lead us to an easier life and a happier life and and a good life. But in that, we're, we're hanging on to the wrong things. And one of the things that's so alluring in that way are those who preach that God's grace is so powerful that it doesn't matter what we do. Because that's pretty appealing. And that's appealing as, a, as believers because then that means that whatever temptations, whatever sins we might struggle with, we can just feed them because God doesn't really care. And for those who aren't yet part of God's kingdom, it sounds appealing because if God's really that way, he doesn't really care what you believe or what you do at all, then there's no reason to even bother changing. But these licentious freedom warriors, we might call them, they, they appear to be fighting this wonderful battle, just proclaiming how, how loving our God is, but in that they misrepresent him and they actually take people away from God's love. And that's what we find if we turn to Second Peter tonight, chapter 2. Listen to what Peter says. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing the, upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. False prophets and false teachers. These are, are the warnings that were given that these people exist. Now, false prophets are, are something we find over and over again in Scripture. We can find examples, and we'll look at some of them in a few minutes, but we find all kinds of examples in Scripture of false prophets who say what people want to hear rather than what God is actually saying. And Peter, as he's writing this, knew that the people hearing it would know about these false prophets in the past. But he says, just as the, these false prophets corrupted the proclamation of of the word of God in the past, so too false teachers are going to arise who do the same thing but distort the teachings that we find now in Scripture, the, the teachings of the church, the gospel message. These things are going to be corrupted by these false teachers. What we need to ask as a starting point, and it's one of the best ways we can guard against these people rising up, is to ask, am I following Jesus 
Am I following those who claim to follow him, but aren't necessarily always aligned with his word? What am I following? Now, very few of us say, well, I want to follow someone who teaches about Jesus, but doesn't teach in a way that's aligned with God's word. And so that question can seem like one where we can just say, well, no, of course not. I'm not following anyone like that. But are we actually taking those whom we listen to, those whom we, we in other words, follow, and asking, are they teaching what God's word says? And if they aren't teaching what God's word says, how do we react? That tells us a lot about whom we are actually following. Now, as I said, many of those false teachers today are teaching this idea of license, that, that God's love is so great, it doesn't matter what you do. And so they're essentially encouraging us and anyone that follows them into sin. And that sin then can lead us to, to find their message more and more appealing because Sin doesn't help build us up and, and understand who God is. Sin is deceptively corrosive and is, is chipping away at us and our understanding. That's what we see in that first verse that Peter writes. In that, we, we find that we're being drawn away from our God and from his truth. Now, it's true that God has given us great freedom. In the gospel, he, he has redeemed us. He's called us his own, and that means wonderful things. It means, amongst other things, that even when we fail, even when we do sin, that we're still his and that he offers us forgiveness. But as Paul instructed the Corinthians in his letters to them, they shouldn't waste that freedom. First Corinthians comes to this over and over again. You see, the Corinthians had teachers just like the ones that we see today, and so this is nothing new. And these teachers would go around saying, all things are permissible to me. It was a great way to justify whatever they wanted to do. And it sounds so spiritual. Well, Jesus has done so much. Anything's permissible to me now because I believe that, that the cross is effective. It's done its work. Jesus has accomplished it for me. And everyone say, oh, wow, that's, now there's someone who is really mature. There's someone who, who really understands Jesus. He, he's not clinging to little bits of regulation here and there, trying to figure out if he can earn his salvation. He understands what Jesus has done. And, and in that, isn't that amazing? Wow. I want that too. I want that freedom. It sounds so good. And freedom in Christ is good. But in that, that chant that they would say, all things are permissible to me, they were using it to justify all kinds of horrible actions, treatment of each other, things that weren't leading them to look more like Jesus, but less and less like Jesus. And so while they were building themselves up, thinking that how mature they were, they were actually looking more and more immature. And in that experiencing less and less of God's presence. As the Apostle John wrote in 1 John, sin separates us from God. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You, you see, as we walk in sin, even as we maybe try to spiritualize it and say, well, it's not really sin anymore because Christ has done all this for me. What are we doing? We're becoming more and more like the world, becoming less and less like Jesus, becoming more and more focused on our selfish desires and, and where they lead us. And it's drawing us away from what we're made to be. It literally is corroding us. And the more we do it, the less we look like those whom Jesus called us to be, but also the less we're able to actually understand what, what it possibly is that he has called us to be. Inasmuch as we're believers and we actually do believe, this not only corrodes our understanding and breaks down our relationship with God, it's actually torture to 
the work that God has done in us, the way he's transforming us. We're torturing ourselves, we're told, later on in Second Peter. Listen to what Peter observes about Lot, who chose to, to live with the peoples of Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter says, if he, the Lord, rescued righteous Lot, listen to what's going on with Lot here now, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. It says Lot tormented his righteous soul. So we're told, and that's implied in the Old Testament, God chooses not to destroy Lot. He promises to Abraham he won't destroy anyone righteous. He rescues Lot. So there's an implication that Lot is in some sense for all of his flaws, somehow a part of God's people, somehow claimed by God. And, and, and yet here we're told that, that Lot is essentially choosing to torture himself because as part of that people, having something of God's work in him, he's torturing his own righteous soul by choosing to dwell in the midst of wickedness. Oftentimes in the moment, it doesn't feel like torture because even if we're not completely joining in, we're kind of at least enticed by what's going on around us. And it seems like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being prudish. Maybe I'm, I'm just being self-righteous. Maybe I'll just watch these people a little more and see what they do. And maybe I can join in some of it because it's not really all that bad. You can see that corruption, that corrosion process happening. But in that, I think if we really think about it, and if you've been trying to follow Jesus for a while, you've probably experienced this, even if you don't want to admit it, there is a sense in which it is actually torture. Because we know somewhere in our conscience, even as we're permitting ourselves to go deeper and deeper into this, it's actually breaking us down. We need to ask ourselves, are, are we distressed by sin? If you read God's word and the things that God's word says are wrong, and they don't distress you, worth asking the question, am I actually following Jesus? Am I actually choosing to be a part of his people? Or am I just someone who's observing from the outside? Lots of people know what God's word says, but but choose not to follow it, choose not to be a part of God's people, choose not to have Jesus as their Lord. And so there's a point of conviction there, but but if you say, well, yes, I, I do believe in Jesus. I am seeking to follow him. I'm just struggling here to sort out exactly how I live in this this world that we're in or or what's true and what isn't. Then the next question is, am I torturing myself? Do I feel that chipping away at my conscience? Do I feel that conviction there and yet I'm choosing to allow that to happen because I convince myself somehow things will be better or or maybe I'll prove myself more spiritual by doing it? I'm not one of those weak people that has to build up all kinds of legalistic rules to, to go about my life. Too often we, we kind of cover that up and in that It's no wonder that we're not living a life that's actually good and happy because you can't do that while you're torturing yourself. And on top of torturing ourselves, we're falling further and further away from our purpose. Now, there are lots of of very spiritual sounding ways to try to cover this up and and make us think that maybe the reason I'm actually feeling this sense of torture or this pain is is not because I'm being too legalistic, but because I'm being... Uh, rather, it isn't because I, I'm not being legalistic enough. It's because I'm being too legalistic. And we hear the, the motto, well, my God wouldn't judge and insert whatever sin it is that we might think is a sin, but we're kind of questioning ourselves. Lots of people say that today as an excuse to, to say, well, anything goes because my God isn't judgmental. My God is a God of love. 
Yet Peter says, while that's true, God will judge. Listen to verse 3 again. He says of these, these false teachers, In their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Destruction for them is coming. Destruction for those who choose to chase after falsehoods that seem to promise happiness and peace and prosperity and so on is coming. Seems promising for the moment. But God is both a God of love and judgment. We've been looking at that on Sunday nights, that mercy and judgment, righteousness and love go together. It's not that God won't forgive us for whatever sins we do, but God does call us to actually follow him. And the sign of a redeemed life, a sign of a life where the Holy Spirit's working, where we actually have received God's salvation, is a life that it may not be perfect. But certainly we hear that nudging of the Holy Spirit, and we start to see our lives being transformed to be more like him. Now, part of that is experiencing God's forgiveness. And, and one of the objections to saying, well, why can't I do just anything at all? One of the ways that that's enforced is to say, but I'm already forgiven. I've experienced God's forgiveness. I know I have that, that forgiveness. And so even if I'm doing something wrong, it, it's actually glorifying to God because I'm going to testify all the more to how forgiving he is. But that's not how God's grace is supposed to work. We're supposed to want to be more like him. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Yes, Jesus will forgive you. And if you believe in him, you have received his forgiveness. His work in you is sure. And yet, we should ask the question, do I actually believe in him? Am I actually following him? If our response to his forgiveness is, well, maybe I can give him an opportunity to forgive me more. That's not how it's supposed to work. But it feels meaningful in the moment. It's, it's July, and that, of course, means it's time for um, Christmas in July. Maybe you went downstairs if you like to observe a little Christmas in July, and and uh, you went and got some of your Christmas decorations. And if you're like me, maybe you um, sometimes forget to take the batteries out. And yet, happily, sometimes you forget to take the batteries out, and yet you go and you flip on your, your Christmas decorations, and, and they light up. This tree doesn't have any working lights on it right now, but um, maybe your decorations did. Sometimes even my decorations that aren't working at the moment still have batteries in them I've forgotten to take out. They've just drained. And, and so those batteries stay in there and everything looks nice. The battery door is shut and the decoration looks pretty. And yet inside what's happening, we've probably all had the experience if you've left batteries in something too long, you open up the door and there's all this flaky battery leakage in there that's all icky and and it's often corroding away the, the contacts that allow the power to actually transfer into your decoration. And it it, it looked okay but it's actually been deeply corrosive. And so one year you pull out that decoration for Christmas or for Christmas in July and you're sprucing it all up and thinking this is going to be great and you realize, wait, this thing can't light because it's become so corroded. And so that battery, yes, the battery itself is going bad and there's something in it that's causing corrosion and it's corroding itself, but it corrodes more than just itself. 
And that's the problem with false teachers. And, and certainly if we participate in false teaching, it's something that we have to recognize we're doing in ourselves too, which is when we listen to false teaching, when we seem to give credence to false teaching, when we go to places that teach things that are false and, and seem to affirm it by our presence there, we're damaging more than ourselves. And we're damaging more than, than the false teacher by allowing him or her to continue. We're damaging other people who are going to see what we seem to be doing, what we seem to be empowering like those batteries, and, and that leakage is coming out and is corroding and it's going to hurt others. Peter says that in verse 2. He says, And many will follow there that is the false teacher, sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. We need to understand that when we give credence to false teaching, when we participate in it, even if it doesn't seem all that harmful, we're actually helping to see the blasphemy of God's truth. Following false teaching, or even allowing it to happen while we personally reject it, but we give some sort of sense of legitimacy to it by sitting in the pew or or sitting online and, and maybe giving a like because we still find something amusing about it, or, or whatever the case may be, these things are going to lead to the corrosion of sin for other people. That's part of what Paul was concerned about in, in, in the Corinthian church, as he wrote in 1 Corinthians. When he mentioned that motto that they were using, all things are permissible to me, he said, but not all things are beneficial. And at first he applies that to what is it doing to you? But, but later on in, in chapter 10, there's this fascinating analysis he does in verse 23 and following, and it boils down to essentially this. He's concerned not only what's it doing to you personally if you choose to do things that, that aren't genuinely permissible before God, but what are you doing to the people around you? Are you glorifying God? Are you showing those who don't know God who God is? Are you showing those who are struggling to follow God how to do it? Or are you making it harder for those who want to follow God to do it and making it obscure what God's truth is for those who are seeking? We need to ask these questions about ourselves and our actions. We can't follow the false teachers. We need to recognize that they do rise up just like false prophets. Jeremiah in chapter 23 of, of his book said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubborn, stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. Who think to make my people forget my name, Jeremiah says later on, these false prophets who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Notice what the instruction is there. Don't follow, don't listen to these false prophets. And likewise, Peter says, don't listen to these false teachers. But recognize more than don't listen. Recognize what they're doing. They're causing God's people to forget his name. And so this is something serious. It's not something we should say, well, I, I, I'm mature enough. I can guard against it. Because as long as we allow it to continue, it will do great damage. It's like an invasive species that gets introduced into our particular part of the world, and it causes great damage. And if we see part of that invasive species and we just say, well, it's not affecting my house or my yard. It's not any big deal. We can actually be part of the problem. A few weeks ago, we had a, a big set of headlines on the giant African land snails down in Florida. And, and they don't look very harmful, do they? I, I actually kind of like seeing a snail going around. But, 
But these African land snails are actually quite harmful. They were introduced here into the United States as, as pets and for educational purposes uh, almost a century ago, and it didn't seem like they were any big deal, but they kill the native species, and they also carry a bunch of different parasites, including one that causes meningitis. So these seemingly harmful, excuse me, harmless things are actually quite harmful. And, and yet, if you saw a giant land snail going across your driveway, would you really think to call animal control and say, we have a problem here? Or would you think, eh, it's not that big a deal. It's just a snail. Too often with, with false teaching, we, we say, well, it's, it's just a pet for somebody. It's not any big deal. It's just going across my driveway. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to have animal control out here. It's not any big deal. And yet those pests, those invasive species of false teaching are, are, are surging through the church. And as, in as much as we look the other way, in as much as we say, well, I'll just take what's good and I'll ignore what's bad about the teaching. In as much as we allow it to, to start attacking us, we get something far worse than meningitis. We, we start to have our spiritual health deteriorate. And often the spiritual health of, health of others, including those who don't yet know Jesus, but might be looking and they end up following this false teaching rather than what is true. Wickedness tortures our souls and leads others astray. So, so why do we ever want to follow it? Why do we ever want to look the other way as false teachers start to suggest that, that God isn't actually a God who desires us to follow him? Isn't it ironic that that people who profess to be followers of Jesus would actually say such a thing as you don't really have to do what God says is good. He'll take care of it in the end. I need to ask myself the question whenever I'm participating with those who are teaching, when they're, and for that matter, whenever I'm doing teaching, am I helping with righteousness or unrighteousness? Because while God is a God of righteousness and great mercy who will offer us his righteousness for our unrighteousness, He's never a God that calls us into unrighteousness. And may we be a people that never call others into unrighteousness either. Would you join me in prayer? Father, the allure of being able to, to do sin and yet still just bask in your forgiveness and it's so appealing at so many levels, whether it's because we want to fulfill our own temptations in a way that that delights us, or we want to seem less judgmental, we want more people to to like us, or or we even think maybe we'll get more people to like you because we can offer a message that sounds so much more accessible. And yet we know you call us away from these things. We call, we are called by you to, to testify to the truth, to what, what is good and noble and building up rather than corrosive. May we trust in your forgiveness and your mercy, but may as we do so, may we also trust in your word as it calls us to live lives that are faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that this was encouraging to you. It's a heavy topic, but it's a very important topic. And I hope as we explored it that maybe it helped as you process the things in your own life and, and I continue to process the things in my life. How do I live a righteous life, a life that's pleasing to God that draws other people to him? Now, one way that we can do that together is by sharing the teaching of his word. And if you've enjoyed this tonight, I hope you'll give it a like and a share. Help get out the truth that we find in God's word. God's both loving and also righteous. We'll be picking up again next week on Monday at 7 p.m. And we're going to look at the other side of this coin by looking at the problem of legalism. When, when people turn God's word and his mercy into a bunch of fulfillments that we need to do, a bunch of requirements, a checklist, rather than a relationship with him. And I hope you'll join me for that and maybe invite a friend who's struggling with some of these things. 
In the meantime, if there's any way I can be praying for you or encourage you, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. It's always great to hear from you, and I can't wait to join you once again next week as we explore God's Word together.